Well, greetings, Mishpaha. One more time, I'm back again. Part two of knowing. Yes, this is knowing part two. How do you know what you know? Now, this, of course, uh, we want to look at this in relationship to the Bible and in relationship to what it is that we feel that we know about Scripture. Now, we were talking about convincing strategies in our last session, and we were also talking about uh, beliefs, that beliefs can run rampant. And, of course, I asked a question, you know, by what right do we believe or think what we think? And we stated that there has to be, there must be a logical reason, even in the faith that we would employ, there has to be a, a logical reason for believing and thinking that a certain thing is true or viable. So, when you take a look at it, when we talk about scripture and understanding it, really what we're talking about is interpretation. Now, one of the first levels of interpretation uh, when it comes to scripture is the actual translation itself. Many people don't realize that when you look at other translations of scriptures, the interpretive process has already, already been employed and somewhere an interpreter, someone who is looking at the text, is deciding what words with what nuances and connotations should go where in order to, you know, hopefully, hopefully accurately detail what is trying to be communicated. But now, wait a minute. This becomes a deep subject because how do you know what was intended to be communicated? One of the many problems that we have in our modern day is that we read with English eyes. We read with a consciousness that is uh, modern and that is biased towards our given understandings and ideologies of a modernistic day and time in which we live. And so we want to we want to look at the scriptures in a light that is completely divorced from the original intent. Now, let me give you an example of this. One example of this is, of course, Genesis looking at the creation story, right? We look at the creation story and we see that everything was done right in six days. And then on the seventh day, it is written that God rested. Well, immediately looking at this through Western eyes, individuals say, ha, well, there's no way that this is talking about God and this is fake. This is false. This is ridiculous because if God is really God, then why would God need to rest? Why would God? Oh, oh, so God gets tired. Huh? Huh? God. And so they, you know, it immediately takes people in a direction that is completely divorced from the original intent and from the original thought. So then the question becomes, well, how do you recapture, how do you regain the quote-unquote original thought of the day? Now, I must say tongue-in-cheek that there is no way that you can accurately get 100%, right? You're not going to get 100%. You're not going to condense 100% of the accurate thought of the day and the mindset of the day. But what you can do is you can do research into the worldview of the people of that time and of that day. So how would you do that? Well, if you if you look, if you will, like let's say, let's, let's, well, we're talking about Genesis, right? So we would then look at some of the extra biblical literature on basically the peoples of that time, 
their their religiosity what did they think about temples and what did they think you know what was their mindset what was the common thread and theme through the literature through the the religious and spiritual literature of that day that would shed light upon the particular topic that we're talking about and and this is what we would find out right this is what you would find out you'd find out that for the ancients God being included in absolutely everything was normal, it was necessary, and that was the worldview. They did not have the modern worldview that we have that is uh, highly empirical, uh, involving the sciences. You know, it's got to be measurable in a test tube. It's got to be, quote-unquote, logical. They didn't have that mindset. They come from a land, a place, and a space where spirit reigned and ruled and spirituality was heightened, if you will. And it was the logic, it was the science, it was those other things that were basically subjugated under the dominant rule of a deity. So when you look at the creation story, what is happening is this. The world is being created as a kind of a temple. And so once it's done then the deity then rests in that temple, right? And they, they rest just like you would say, well, in seven days, this corporation was built. All the legal was taken care of, the building of the building, everything was taken care of. And then on the seventh day, the CEO walked into his office and he began to, quote unquote, walk in his office, fulfill his office, because all the hard part is done. Now he's there to rule and to do business. This is more so akin to the spirit, if you will, of the Genesis creation story. So I've given you an example, an interpretive example on how to look at Genesis without the Western mentality and the Western trance, if you will, of us thinking that our modernistic ways of thinking is the end all be all. It's not. We need to understand things in relationship to the worldview of the time. And you do that by looking at extra biblical writings that are akin to that time period. Okay. And, and the time period becomes key. So then you need to understand more so than anything, try to lock down the time period and then look at extra biblical materials that relate to that given time period. So we have a tendency to look at things with Western eyes. Let's not do that. So when we talk about interpreting the scriptures, it's first of all important that we understand that the first level of important uh, of interpretation, excuse me, it's going to be the translation. And then after the translation, we look at any passage and we want to gain, if you will, some sort of comprehensive understanding of what the worldview of the people was at that particular time. We have to enter into the culture. We have to enter into the mentality and the consciousness of the individuals, which sometimes you can also do through the language itself. So that being stated, it's important for us to dig deep and for us to understand that there are hermeneutical disciplines that we need to employ in understanding what we know and how we know what we know. Now, I began part one by saying that because we weren't there, we weren't there for Genesis. We weren't there for Abraham. We weren't there for David. We weren't there for any of it. And so it places us in, in on the thin ice of belief. I, I said that in session one. Now, let me also say this. 
it also puts us it also puts us in a place where we need to look at things in the relationship of historical probability okay historians don't necessarily come up with fact but what they do most of all is they look at the possibility or the probability of something being able to be true so we're we're forced to rock right along in that boat with them right and sail with them to their destinations because again none of us were there so we need to look at the probability of a, such a thing being possible and being true now let me give you an example of this in the new testament it is mentioned that uh mary and joseph had to go uh that they, basically they they needed to leave where they were and they needed to go to bethlehem for a census now people have talked about the census oh it, you know there, there, there's no way this is ridiculous or, or yeah it really did happen well how do we know which which side to kind of snuggle up to well you look at once again you look at the probabilities it is historically when once you do the math once you crunch the numbers it is historically improbable that for one particular moment the roman government would actually cause everyone to go back to their normal or, or their original place of birth in order to conduct a census when they had traveling tax assessors it makes more sense to have traveling tax assessors because if you're exacting a fee from someone you you say to yourself well how are they going to get the money by working their land if we make them trek across the planet to a different city i'm saying planet right that that's exaggerating but if you make them go from where they are to a different city you're taking away from their ability to produce and to be able to pay you okay so it makes sense to have the traveling tax assessor go to them and then of course they pay their taxes so it is highly improbable that it is true that there was a census right that there was a a, a census uh that Quirinius would have would have instituted to say hey everybody stop what you're doing go back to the place where you no 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 so we can look at that and we can say that well that's highly highly improbable right with that being the case we go beyond the historical probabilities we go beyond the zeitgeist of the day or the spirit and the age of the day through uh, an extra biblical understanding regarding the time and and we begin to look at the other disciplines if you will that assist us in understanding and knowing what it is that we know now one of the forms and i'm going to mention these very quickly uh one of them of course is biblical criticism which is a discipline that that really studies you know like the textual and the compositional and the historical questions surrounding the bible right it's like this if i have a tendency to speak in a certain way and let's say if i i wrote exactly as i would speak if i'm writing right i'm writing the way that i speak now but then all of a sudden in the next paragraph you see where i'm saying something that is akin to uh almost like a um a british or a scottish or 
you know, any any other kind, like for instance, like a a British form of English or the English of the UK, where they use di- you know where it's English, but yes, they 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 say things differently. Uh, like for instance, here where I'm at, uh, we don't say water fountain, right? So if I'm in a discussion about water fountains and I I, I use the term water fountains and we don't use that term. We use bubbler instead, right? Why? I don't know, but it's been that way ever since I've been a kid. It's what I grew up with. So when I talk about the bubbler, (laughs) actually sounds funny now, I'm actually talking about a water fountain, right? People in other cities would call this a water fountain. Well, if I'm riding, right, and I, I mention I mention a bubbler, I'm talking about a bubbler. I was a kid and I walked up to the bubbler. And if I were to just suddenly stop using bubbler altogether and say water fountain, you'd think, well, okay, something's not right here because he knows it as a bubbler. So you would look at the text that's written and you would say, hey, here's a clue. Here's a key that this is no longer the same person that's doing the writing here or doing the speaking. Now, that being the case, this this is a part, if you will, of biblical criticism where you look at the text, you look at the composition, you look at what has been written. Right. And then, of course, you take notes. Um moving along and like i said i'm not going to spend too much time in these i I just want to mention these different disciplines as they relate to bible interpretation and therefore hermeneutics there's also the peshat which is the which is a part it's a a more so hebraic or judaic um you know term if you will and, and, and basically, it deals a lot with just like the, the simple, you know, um, the overall, the broad, the general way of, of looking at something, okay? Uh, when you look at something, you want to know what it says plainly. Tell it to me plainly, right? Uh, let's not get too complicated. And these are attached to, these are attached to uh, other forms, if you will. If you, if you understand what pardes, if I were to mention that to you, pardes, just like it sounds, P-R-D-S, there, for each one of those letters, the P would stand for the peshat or the simple. The remez would be a hint of something more, right? The D would be the drash, which would mean that there's something more, right? It's, it's a suspicion that there's more meaning. There's something under there. So it sends you on a search, right? And then of course, the end of it is going to be sod, which means secret. And this is of course, acronymistically, it is pardes. And this is considered to be a level of interpretation where first you look at it and you look at it simply, right? And then you look at it again and you see that there's a hint of something more. Then you look at it again and you're, you're searching, you're searching for something deeper. And then once more, you come to the secret of it. You come to something that is secretive in that, that you are, you know, something that is not revealed on the surface, right? And so taking a look then at, um, these different disciplines of interpretation, you know, one, one has to really, um, how can I say this? One has to really kind of, you know, you want to, you want to be careful how you apply all of this. You want to be careful how you apply all, all of this, because many people feel as if 
you know, the more fanciful, the better. Uh, ooh, it's deep. You know, there's revelation. Ooh, I'm deep. And you can go so far away from scripture that that you then uh, leave, if you will, you leave completely, you check out from home base, and next thing you know, you are someplace far, far down the line, and you don't know how in the world you got there. And what I'm saying is we have to be careful when we consider, you know, using some of these tactics to the extreme, right? Many people, they, they want the fanciful, they want the deep, they want something that is going to um, tickle their fancy and something that is going to, you know, even entertain them, right? Um, we, we just need to be careful. Uh, by way of mention, let me continue. There is also the, there's parallelisms, parallelisms, excuse me where we look in scripture and of course we see parallels uh, there are also typologies where one thing is said to be a type of another like for instance we could look at a joseph and say well um, the new testament jesus is actually a type of joseph where what we're doing is we're looking at the type and we're looking at the basis for that individual's existence and we're drawing uh, types and symbols of that, and we're applying it to someone in another biblical passage. Um, also, there is a, another level of interpretation, which is allegorical. Now, the allegorical is, you know, <laughs> we see the Apostle Paul doing this, you know, a lot, right? Where he talks about Hagar and Sarah and the children of them being you know, allegorically, they represent the covenant and, you know, and those who are outside of the covenant. And this is actually used, I, I feel like it's dangerous because this is actually used as a foundation to disinherit Israel and to suggest that the modern day church is the replacement of Israel through such allegories. It's not something that has actually taken place, but it's just using the the blanketed truths regarding one incident using it once again as an allegory to point out the reality or the suspected reality of another situation so out of these different things i mean there's a way there is a way that we can interpret there's a way that we can look at this and you know what i don't want this podcast to be too long so let me just let me just say this as I close, the ability to interpret scripture, and we can get into word studies, we can get into the language, we can get, there's, there's a lot that we can get into, right? But from a standpoint of understanding and interpreting scripture, okay, uh, there is, there is one method of interpreting scripture that is you know, it, it's it's called the concordant, right? Where you think that a word means the same thing throughout the whole corpus of scripture. Um, have to be careful with that. But but let me just mention this. There is another way of interpreting. I, I meant to mention that before and I'm trying to throw it in as I close. But there is a method of interpreting scripture that that I feel is important. And I believe that we should use the corpus of the Torah itself, I believe that we should use it as 
the foundation for and we should use it as the the concentrated truth if you will through which all other scriptures meaning the prophets and the ketuvim should be understand and they should be seen through the lens of torah this means that we do not accept nor believe in progressive revelation that says that it's the opposite around it's the opposite it's the other way around it's the opposite that the torah itself eh, well you know that was earlier days and that's no longer you know the the later stuff that's written that's what's important well i don't believe that at all i don't see that as being viable because the scripture itself says that it is eternal you're to do these things forever um you know the word of our elohim it is eternal and that means that it stands well progressive revelation would suggest that it does not stand that it has somehow been dismissed uh, for whatever reason, even though in the Tanakh it mentions the word forever, there's things that you're supposed to do forever, there's things that you're supposed to observe forever, right? Uh, that being the case, hey, I feel as if everything should be dealt with and seen through the lens of Torah, which means the first five books that are attributed to being written by Moshe. Uh, I've overgone my time, but hey, thank you for sticking with me. By all means, go to the website at Remnant Nation Live and also... Uh, that's remnantnation.live and also Live. check out what we're doing also catch us on patreon and whenever there is a youtube video you will find in the um, in the definition of this podcast you will find the link there feel free to go to the youtube channel check out what we've got we're adding content uh, weekly so please stick with us and hey thank you for stopping by and we'll catch you next time